Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Amen. I hope you heard in, in the music today this tension between helping others and seeking their full flourishing, and also understanding when you need to set up some boundaries. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to do that by hearing a story that's familiar to a lot of people. And hopefully today it will have another depth to it as well. So from Luke chapter 10, a legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, And left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So... How we view our neighbors is in many ways shaped by the stories we tell ourselves about our neighbors. So I'm going to frame this up by saying in 2010, the top television shows were American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, NFL Sunday Night Football, and then the next seven shows were about crime and murder. The next seven shows were crime and and murder. Now, I will admit, I was as hooked as anybody loved CSI, all the CSIs. Uh, TiVo'd them. It was 2010, after all. <laughs> TiVo'd them. And, but I also had a smallish child in the house, and I did not want to expose him to that, so he would come in the room while I was watching it, and I'd pause, and I would say, Mommy's watching one of her shows that's 
you know, not a show that you need to see. What do you need? And I would take care of him, and then he would go on his way. Well, I once heard him say to someone, he said, oh, yeah, my mom watches lots of murder shows. Apparently, I was not doing a very good job of covering what I was watching. Um, he goes, my mom watches lots of murder shows. And the person said, oh, really? Why? And he said, because she likes to watch people get killed. <laughs> I said, whoa, 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 that is not why I watch those shows. I watch those shows because there's a bad guy who usually gets caught. It's about justice and all of that. And he was, he was not buying it. <laughs> and I thought, he is learning the wrong lesson here. But arguably, I was also learning the wrong lesson. And the lesson that I was learning was about my neighbors. And it became clear to me when around that same time, I was driving down the road and I passed a woman walking down the side of the road with an infant in her arm and a two-year-old on her hand. And a little bit further down the road, I passed a car that was obviously broken down. Now, I passed her in a van with car seats. I could have been a person that pulled over and helped her in a moment of real distress. But what did I think about her? This was what went through my mind. I could probably stop and help her but what if she's got an axe tucked in her pants and is really trying to kill me? Now, that is the worst plan as a murderer to involve an infant and a two-year-old and your ruse. You know, that's a lot to manage at the same time. <laughs> but what stories was I hearing about my neighbor? That they were all killers out to get me. At that same time, I was teaching the Odyssey at the local community college. And one of the things we focused in on was hospitality and what constituted good hospitality and bad hospitality in the Odyssey. And good hospitality was seeing a man who came desolate and desperate to your door, inviting him in, clothing him, feeding him, taking care of him for a month, and then sending him off with one quarter of your estate. Bad hospitality in the Odyssey was the Cyclops who ate their guests. <laughs> now, in the midst of these extremes of fearing the stranger or wanting to eat the stranger or giving away a quarter of your estate to a stranger, there has to be some middle ground. Well, I think we find it in the Good Samaritan. And let's stop and think about the Good Samaritan. First of all, I meant to bring a picture. I'm sorry I didn't, but I want to draw in your mind what this road from Jerusalem to Jericho looks like. Desert. Hilly, sharp, craggy rock desert. The kind of desert that in the old westerns people were abandoned in, it very much looks like this. By the way, this is the road that goes back and forth between Israel and Palestine to this day. And that is where this emergency situation has happened. This man has been beaten up by thieves. It was a well-traveled road, but there was enough space between travelers that thieves could take advantage of this. He's been beaten up by thieves and left in the ditch and will probably die if someone doesn't respond. And so here he is in these dire straits, and two people walk past him. The Good Samaritan stops and if this man was a Jew, which is implied by the story, although not stated, the Good Samaritan, first of all, is crossing some boundaries of society as a Samaritan helping a Jew, very much like if a Palestinian 
helped an Israeli today, or vice versa. And so there was that risk, that social risk that he was taking. But more than that, he could also be risking his life because perhaps the thieves were still around and could beat him up and take his stuff. Or it could have been a ruse, <laughs> a better one than one that involves infants. You know, so it could have been a ruse to lure the man over. But nonetheless, he takes a chance. He responds to this human need, this desperate situation. He bandages him, and he uses the first century equivalent of an ambulance, which is a donkey. He's called in the donkey. Donkeys, by the way, the reason this road from Jerusalem and Jericho exists is because donkeys always take the easiest route. And so they know how to get you somewhere fast and easy. That's what they're going to do. And he gets them to the end. And we really want to live in a society where if we were in a ditch, someone would stop and help us, right? That's really the society that we want to be in. And that is the society that the Good Samaritan was living out despite all of these other externals to consider. But when he gets the man to the end, he makes sure he is settled. And then he leaves him there. Once the emergency is managed... Because the Good Samaritan recognized he was the person to respond in the emergency because he was there. And he had a donkey, which was pretty critical. Uh, he was there and he had a donkey. He could get the man to an inn. But he was not necessarily the best one to continue to take care of the man. He facilitated the means for that to happen. But that was much more something that an innkeeper or that community would be prepared to do. To take care of the man. So he got him where he knew people were more equipped for care. But then he also promises to follow up. To return and see what else the man needed. To follow up on what happened to this man. And I think that this story gives us all a pattern to follow. When it comes to responding to situations that are crisis situations. Or that may have some element of danger to them. But in order for us to do that, we also need to tell ourselves a new story. So I'm going to help you do that by sharing some statistics with you. In 2020, there were 21,000 homicides in the United States. Less than 10% of those were committed by a stranger. More than 90% were committed by someone someone knew. And in the UK... There were 700 homicides, and around 5% of those were committed by a stranger. I've also learned that people with mental health challenges, those are the ones that, those are the situations that I think usually people get very scared about, is when people's having a mental health crisis. People with mental health challenges only account for 4% of violent crime across the board. 4%. They are far more likely to be victims of violent crime than to actually engage in violent crime. So help yourself start to reframe a story. Don't let CSI tell you who your neighbor is, right? And then let's look at this pattern. So respond to an emergency. If there is a real emergency situation, take whatever immediate and helpful measures there need to be, including calling the donkey, right? Get emergency medical personnel on 
staff. And there are lots of ways that we respond to emergency situations. The work of the food pantry is a respond to emergency situations. People are out, out of food or having to choose between food and rent or food and medicine or food and anything. Um, the work of the pantry does that kind of emergency work for people and helps them get out of the ditch. Then what we need to do is get the person to the right people who can help. You do not have to take full responsibility of the person, but to connect them with agencies or institutions or locations that are better equipped to help a person in an emergency situation. But then we are also called to follow up. And when we follow up, that means we need to be advocates. We need to work for justice. We need to seek change so that less and less people end up in the ditch in the first place. Part of that is listening and hearing stories and being challenged by stories in new ways. I did go see Killers of the Flower Moon and at the end of the movie, um, the people that I went with turned to me and said, well, what did you think? And I said, terrible. And they said, you didn't like the movie? I was like, oh, it's a great movie, but it's a terrible story. It's a terrible story. And I need to be challenged by it. And I need to do what I need to do for my own work to change so those kinds of stories don't happen again. So you can advocate, you can learn, and you can listen. You can also train to be ready for emergency situations. All of your staff here at this church has been trained in first aid and mental health first aid, which is how to respond when someone's in a mental health crisis. And by the way, speaking of first aid, we still need to collect things for the first aid kits. So remember, we're collecting those through the end of this month for the kids. And then some in our congregation have trained on ACEs, which is adverse child experiences, to know how to walk alongside people better who have been through trauma. And we will all be offering another first aid training next winter in January, February, somewhere on there. So when you take those kinds of trainings, you prepare yourself for those situations so that you can respond better when they do happen. And I will share with you, I know a lot of you were at Charge Conference on Wednesday. We had an incident happen, but it was managed because the staff knows how to respond and we knew who to tap for that to be taken care of and no one really knew anything happened because we knew how to respond. And everyone was safe, including the person who was in a vulnerable situation. Everyone was safe because of that. And then the other thing that I encourage you to do before emergencies happen, but also if you are part of an emergency, I encourage you to stop and self-reflect. You know, we are told to love our neighbor as ourself. And part of understanding and loving our neighbor is understanding and loving ourself enough to know who we are and what our limitations are and where we can be truly helpful and where we can't. We judge the priest and the Levite for going on, and the way that it is narrated in the story, there's good reason to judge that they chose externals and chose not to help the person. But they might have said, I don't have a donkey. I need to run go get a donkey or find someone that does, because getting a very injured person out of the ditch is going to require a donkey, right? And so understanding what your own limitations are and what your resources are and how you can respond is very important. Whenever all of the protests were happening around Black Lives Matter, I had some people that invited me to go to those protests, and I said, I will be in prayer for what you're going to do and in prayer for all of this, but I have pretty severe PTSD that can be triggered 
by sounds of gunshots. And um, I will not add to that situation. I will cause problems in it. And so if you know that about yourself, step back or get the people that can be helpful in that situation. And then I invite all of us to continue to tell ourselves stories so that we can be more prepared and more at ease when we need to respond if there is an emergency. I tell myself the story of the woman walking down the road all the time to remind myself of how I let fiction that really is a reflection of such a small amount of our society shape my whole reality. But I also tell myself a story about a man in West Memphis. He was a, was a big dude. He was about six foot seven, 350 to 400 pounds. Big guy. He would come into our church and worship periodically, sit always at the back, always wore overalls. He would always steal our upper room money. And people would come tell me that he stole the upper room money. I was like, we're not going to go broke, y'all. He needs it. Let it go. Right? Let it go. But one Friday, he came in, and people were always warning me about him. He came in and he said, I'm out of my anxiety medicine, and I'm, I'm angry with my neighbor, and I'm afraid I might hurt him. I need your help. And I said, what can I do to help? Can we get you some more anxiety medicine? He said, no, I've already talked to the doctor. The earliest that they can renew this prescription is Monday. I said, can we get you another place to stay? He said, I actually have done that already. So I'm going to stay away. He said, what I most need for you to do for me is to sit here with me and talk quietly with me and pray with me. And I did. Until he was calm and he was ready to go. And then I saw him on Sunday in worship and he was smiling and he hadn't attacked his neighbor. And I saw him the next week in worship and all was well. He had his medication. I remind myself of that story, that story that people tried to tell me something different about him and what he just needed was to know someone loved and cared enough to sit with him and be present with him in that moment. And I could do that. I, I could have connected him to all other things, but he was doing that work already for himself. But I could at least do that as well. Tell ourselves that story because that's the society we really want as I said, we want a society where if we're in the ditch, someone pulls us out. And we want to be a people that sees people hurting and helps them heal. That's the people that we want to be. And I know the people on the ground in Israel and Palestine want that too. They want it too. The more we can live into that story, the more it will become a reality. And so as this series draws to a close... I want to give you one more challenge. I'm so excited, all the people who have signed up to be trunks for Trunk or Treat, which is a big moment in our, I know it brings a lot of people and it's crazy and madness, but it also says to our community that we make a place where children are safe and loved and we want to welcome them. But I want to give you one extra Halloween assignment. Since that's on the 29th of October, you have, or the 28th, whatever day that Sunday is, um, you have Halloween free to go trick-or-treat if you want to. I'm going to challenge you if you are doing that, or even if you didn't have plans, if you're a grown-up and you didn't have plans to go out trick-or-treating, go reverse trick-or-treating. Make up little bags of treats, a little note in there that says, we love your, you're our neighbor, 
Stick some of those cards in that I gave you from a couple of weeks ago if you want to. It's the one day of the year when neighbors open their door. It's it. That's it. That's your one shot, right? When they open the door, say reverse trick or treat and give them a treat. And just tell them you're so glad that they are your neighbor. Show them that love. Show them the love of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace. Thank you.